0: So first and foremost.
1: I think the the addition of pant leggings is really when you start to see your heroes get watered down.
0: Can't even muster the ability to go straight behind that one. Uh, which
1: is a good argument for absolute rulers.
0: Everybody is gonna get behind me either of the and the support numbers will go through. When
1: you hang out with the hero, it doesn't go well for you. Grandfather took the cob and just slid it right through the bar. Oh, God. Okay. And that became the dominant way our family did it. Okay. And so, (laughs) in both (laughs) of my marriages, they were treated to that.
0: Okay, wait, hold on.
1: Yeah, rage haiku.
0: How do you imagine the rubber chicken? My grandmother actually vacuumed in her pearls. Oh, my God. It all makes sense. We'd had the sexual revolution.
1: It might have just been a Canadian standoff. We're going to go back to 9-11.
0: Mm-hmm. Nobody understands what it's a sport. Agra <laughs> has no business being <laughs> that thick. <laughs> <laughs> With the cultists win, we all This is a geek history of time where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher on the side of video reading here in Northern California. Uh, and uh, in personal news, uh, my wife and I are we're a little more than halfway through WandaVision. And we're like behind everybody else in the geek universe uh, because my wife is is an adult adoptee into the tribe as opposed <laughs> to being being raised in the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we didn't get around to watching it. But there's also the fact that we have a three year old. And so our, our viewing time is is somewhat limited sure uh we spend an awful lot of time uh in blippy's company uh these days uh when when our boy is awake uh rather than watching stuff we'd like to be watching <laughs> um and now that i said that i now have the excavator song stuck in my head um so i regret bringing it up <laughs> uh, how about you
1: uh i'm Damien harmony i am a latin teacher up here in northern california uh, I, let's see, as a personal note, I don't have much except that, um, my daughter, I, t- I showed my children Watership Down and my okay. daughter did a deep dive down the rabbit hole, as it were, okay. uh, on European rabbits to write up their culture. Okay. So now she knows a ton about European rabbits, their mating habits, how they keep their warrens, what they do, what okay. their gestation is, et cetera. Wow. Then we watched white fang because my son okay. really likes white fang okay and then she did another deep dive on dogs okay and now she knows everything about their gestation habits and and on and on and on and there's many many okay. breeds wow um meanwhile my son she asked him she's like hey can you quiz me on or can i quiz you on different dog types and this and that he's like i only like kittens <laughs> <laughs> Ah, that boy really loves kittens. They yeah. are his favorite animal, and and he will tell you everything about them if you ask him. Well, yeah, um, but you know, just like it, my
0: son will tell you everything yep. you ever wanted to know about Pachycephalosaurus. Yep. Or, um oh
1: no, Archaeopteryx. Armored? No, the oh. armored Ankylosaurus. Ankylosaurus. Thank yep. you. Sure. I. I
0: mm. So yeah, uh, but yeah, no. When okay. they, when they, when they get.
1: You gotta start getting fixed him to on watch something, you know. Start getting him to watch Dinosaurs. Okay. It is a fun little cartoon. Okay. And they they're dinosaurs that came from space.
0: Okay. I'll I'll look it up yeah. and we'll you, have to. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything, you know... anything, <laughs> anything to supplant Blippi? Now, please,
1: uh... <laughs> dear God, please. <laughs> I know I've showed them comedies recently, but I can't remember for the life of me what comedies I've showed them. Um, but there is some stuff that was really really abstract that they both really, really liked. But no, I'll get okay. to that in the next episode or so. Yeah. Um. I There was one other thing I was going to say about uh, what my son uh, does vis a uh, kittens the kittens or the dogs, but darn if I can forget it. So Okay. Oh, well. Uh, you and your, your dinosaurs. Yeah, um,
0: sorry. That's <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: so uh, when last we talked, I promised I'd talk to you about wrestling, and then I talked about Michelle Foucault and racism in L.A., Yes. At least this time, I'm going to move over to New York.
0: Oh, okay. Which
1: is where there's some wrestling based out of. Yes. So hopefully,
0: don't tease me. Okay. Don't don't tease me. Let's get into what we're going to get into, and then we. All right. All right.
1: So you remember last time we talked about uh the L.A. riots? Yes. Um, post the acquittal. Yeah. Of four officers who
0: beat. The ever-loving yeah. Daylights out, out of Rodney, Rodney King, King yes. on video uh-huh. yeah
1: fifty six times
0: with a baton
1: yeah like Each. and I, they kicked him seven times and and kicked him and they and stun him gunned him
0: stun gunned him repeatedly like, yeah you know and and the thing is you know you you hear mm-hmm. hit him fifty six times fifty six yeah fifty six times what what I don't think it's it's really possible to convey mm-hmm. verbally is when you hear they hit him with a baton 56 times. Um, you need to understand that hitting somebody with a baton is not the same thing as no. hauling off and, and, you know, punching somebody or, you know anything like that? It yeah. a a a baton was made to hit people. Was was made specifically to be a weapon, and yes. it is not lethal in the way that a gun or a knife could be. But the amount of trauma and the kind of injury that we're talking about them, yeah, inflicting on this man, say it's 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 it, it is unless you have. Watched somebody practice like martial arts with a tonfa, which yeah, is say, which is the yeah. the 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 you know eastern martial arts ancestor, of, right? Of a police police or baton hell, just watch eskrima or something. Yeah, you know, Un- until you've actually seen the kinds of the amount of energy that gets delivered when something gets struck by that. Mm-hmm. It hearing well they hit him with a baton fifty six times, you know, you think of like a relay baton. Right. Or That's or, hollow. or or a British or a British officer's swagger stick. Right. Like, no, no. This is a heavy, solid object. Made for hitting. Made for hitting. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's it's here, I'll, I'll give you the a level own. of violence is is sickening.
1: Yeah. I'll give you a good example. You ever leave open a uh, cabinet? And then yeah. you lean into it and it doesn't give and you've now feel like you've just dented your forehead. Yeah. And it hurts like the dickens because it didn't yeah. move and all that force went all right that, into all your body. All that forehead, energy went straight into right? the bone of
0: your skull. Or yeah. have
1: you ever you've got a little one. Have you ever gotten up and you swung to turn around and you smacked your head into the side of a wall? I've done this on a corner. Yeah. It hurts, right? Oh, oh well I'll I'll That's, do it. I'll do it. Well, hang on. Okay. That pain, that pain is nowhere near as much as getting hit with a baton. Yeah. And most people have had those pains. Yeah. Because you're moving at a slow rate. Yeah. In a short distance. Yeah. These are people, while he is on the ground, going up above their shoulders, coming down with force. Oh, yeah. 56 times. And kicking him. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's
0: awful. Stomach churning. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So on the other side of the country. Yeah. In September of nineteen ninety two. Okay. Okay, so that was April. Yeah. Now let's one, two, skip a few. Now it's in September. Yeah. Just a couple of months before the election between Clinton, Bush, and Perot. Yeah. The Patrolman's Benevolent Association demonstrated in protest of David Dinkins. David Dinkins, black mayor. Right. First black mayor of New York, I believe.
0: Okay. I think so. Uh,
1: and then mayor of New York. Uh, David Dinkins is then mayor of New York uh, who would be up for re-election in the following year. His effort at making an all civilian police misconduct review board. Right. So they took to the streets to protest an all civilian police misconduct review board. Now you pointed out last time that police are also civilians. Yeah. But this is an all non-police.
0: Yeah. And okay? all an all private citizen. Yes
1: misconduct review board not a sentencing body not a jurisdictional body not a no this is a misconduct review so if you've been charged with misconduct then you go to this review board and these people review the charges and determine some things right yeah okay so dinkins was new york's first black mayor he had beaten out the establishment democrat ed Koch. Yes, um, and he held off Rudy Giuliani to win the mayorship in nineteen ninety. Yeah. Now, what I I find interesting is that Dinkins beat out the establishment Democrat Ed Koch. Do you remember a couple of years ago when AOC beat out the uh, she primaried and beat out the establishment uh, Democrat? Yeah. So you you've you've got some people that are actually able to run to the left. Yeah. Uh, with some success. Yeah. California, look into it. Um, so, <laughs> work on that he holds off Rudy Giuliani to win in 90 uh, his attempts at combating the rising crime in New York I remember it was ninety, 90 um, the rising ethnic and racial disparity and distrust in New York and the blighted economy met with a lot of success but with a lot of mixed reviews shocking that yeah. a black man being successful at fighting the very things that mm-hmm. he is, is fighting against yeah. um, is met with mixed reviews okay and it's not like his presidency or his mayorship was without troubles. The Crown Heights riot happened during his tenure. Yeah. Um, but as the economy continued to decline, the murder rate in New York also declined, which I found interesting. Um, huh. Yeah. He also started a housing rehabilitation project that brought a lot of dilapidated houses out of ruin. Okay. Now, this isn't broken windows theory, which in itself is a... It is a different... Yeah. 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 Which is a Systemically bad... Systemically racist... Yeah. But back to the police demonstration. So in September 16th, 1992, 10,000 off-duty police officers swarmed the area near City Hall. Now, as I recall, the amount of police in New York outnumber the amount of Coast Guard that we have. Yeah.
0: I'd have to look that up, but okay.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 56,000 police officers in New York. Okay. Well, and 10,000 of them were off duty. That's one fifth year. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Holy crap.
1: So they swarmed the area near near City Hall. 2,000 of them marched onto the Brooklyn Bridge. In both areas, they assaulted reporters who were trying to cover the demonstration. Off duty police officers Mm -hmm. are assaulting reporters. And in all places, they objected to the call for increased police accountability. Yeah. The police who were marching said that if there was going to be a review board for their misconduct, there would be no police force. It's a hell of a line to draw. Yeah. Either or, not both. Either or. Plenty of uniformed police officers were there too, because, you know, it's a demonstration. And it was the same group of uniformed officers who made very little attempt to control the crowd. Law and order advocates were largely silent on the matter. Former and soon-to-be mayoral candidate Rudy Giuliani a former federal prosecutor whose future administration would fiercely promote zero tolerance policing took part in the protests himself. Yep. When asked if the police got out of hand, which they had the president of the policemen benevolent association said, quote, sometimes if emotionalism is not evoked publicly, the responsible elements of the community do not listen.
0: Oh, wow. So that sounds an awful lot like somebody trying to sound Very, very rational and very logical while saying a riot is the voice of the unheard or the voice of the oppressed. Yes. Yeah.
1: It's quite a contrast. Yeah. But it is also wholly on brand. Now, these are police who are angry about the idea of non police getting to criticize and call them out. Yeah. And they're not having it.
0: Yeah. So they do
1: the only thing that they can do and protest. Uh, and and riots yeah. violently against reporters. Yeah, police officers carried signs that read "No justice, no police." Wow. The PBA president also said that Dinkins's efforts at policing reform aimed at bringing down violence in different neighborhoods would invite more chaos. Chaos.
0: Yeah,
1: crime is going to get worse, he said. The streets will become less safe than they are. He was wrong
0: yeah well the data yeah.
1: bears out that he was wrong. Crime went down in the 1990s even though white fear continued to rise and yeah. Giuliani took over winning by a very narrow margin though in white areas panic seemed to send a lot of white people to the polls and that's yeah. an interesting p- privilege that white people have when they get scared they get to vote
0: yeah what's what's interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, is is the the fact that. Uh, there's this, this definite idea that, uh, we need to give the police all of this leeway because if we don't, they're not going to be able to do their job. Right. We, we have to, we can't leash them in any way because if we limit them in any way, then the bad guys are going to, are going to run riot. You know, uh, this, this, this concept on the right that uh you know cops have to be judged dread in order to do their job
1: Mm -hmm. remember that was a satire yeah i know i i i I talked about it yeah Yeah.
0: um (laughs) you know and 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 it was it was a satire written Mm -hmm. in response to a right-wing government coming into power and completely undoing Mm -hmm. the the uh you know post-war uh a detente between yes. the right and the left you know the, the the status quo and so um you know the the funny thing about it is anybody who bothers to look at policing and law enforcement anywhere else in the developed world
1: mm-hmm.
0: would understand that's that's not true it's right Patently and demonstrably false.
1: You could even look here in America because there are some cities that have done reports and studies and then actually did what those reports and studies told them to do. And yeah. you saw shit go down by a significant amount.
0: Yeah, you saw yeah. you saw the level of crime go down because yes. communities were more comfortable going to right authorities and law enforcement and saying, hey, we need help with this thing. Yep. So it's, it's this, it's this knee jerk mm-hmm. authoritarian kick,
1: which is, here's an interesting wrinkle to that. Daryl Gates guy from LA yeah, actually did advocate for that same thing. He said, you do not get to pull people over that you suspect of being illegal. Yeah. He put a stop to that complex dude. Uh, yeah. Still a right bastard in, in too many respects for me yeah. to have much respect, yeah. but he did absolutely do that. He yeah, did do that.
0: even a stop clock is right twice a day. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: So after the this demonstration, civilians reported to the local police station that they had witnessed six officers assault a man on a subway. They goaded him into producing a razor blade to defend himself because this is the subway in New York. Um. And then they swarmed him and beat the shit out of him. And during the riots, because they did turn it into riots, the uniformed police did nothing really to curb it. Hundreds were reportedly drunk in public as well, which is interesting because they would often st- uh, pull people off their own porches Yeah, um, at that time. And these were all blue lives. They all chose this profession. And they were protesting non-police oversight over yeah. their misconduct, not even over their policing, yeah. just the misconduct. These are all chosen blue lives. I would just like to point out yeah. that they're out there marching for for blue lives specifically, and this yeah. is what they do. Now, if you just contrast that with maybe last summer, and you, mm-hmm. I, I have the numbers somewhere on my phone because I had to take a, a fellow teacher to task about saying that you mm-hmm. know the Antifa riots, and I was like, no, 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 no here's no, the numbers, honey. Yeah. Um, but, uh, here's an excerpt from Nat Hentoff writing for the Cato Institute. I hope I pronounced his name right. Uh, quote, <clears throat> reporters and innocent bystanders were violently assaulted by the mob as thousands of dollars in private property was destroyed in multiple acts of vandalism. The protesters stormed up the steps of city hall, occupying the building. It is a weird thing that like white people like to occupy buildings a lot. Mm hmm. They then streamed onto the Brooklyn Bridge, where they blocked traffic in both directions, Man, you
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: jumping onto the cars of trapped, terrorized motorists. Many of the protesters were carrying guns and openly drinking alcohol. Yet the uniformed police present did little to stop them. Why? Because the rioters were nearly all white off-duty NYPD officers. They were participating in a Patrolman's Benevolent Association demonstration against Mayor David Dinkins, call for a civilian-compliant review board and his creation earlier that year of the Mullen Commission, formed to investigate widespread allegations of misconduct within the NYPD. In the center of that mayhem, standing on top of a car while cursing Mayor Dinkins through a bullhorn was mayoral candidate Rudy Giuliani. Beer cans were bro- and broken beer bottles littered the streets as Mr. Giuliani led the crowd in chants. I just really like to contrast that with January 6th for a second. Yeah. I can't, because they're kind of the same thing. Kind of. Similar cast, too. Yeah. The New York Times reported uh, that Newsday columnist Jimmy Breslin described the racial conduct in chilling detail. Quote, The cops held up several of the most crude drawings of Dinkins, black, performing perverted sex acts, he wrote. And here was one of them calling across the top of his beer can held to his mouth. How do you like the, expletive deleted, N-word, beating you up in Crown Heights? The off-duty cops were referring to a severe beating that Breslin suffered while covering the 1991 Crown Heights riots in Brooklyn. So they're yelling at this reporter. Wow. Breslin continues. Now others began screaming. How do you like what the expletive deleted N-words did to you in Crown Heights? Now you got a expletive deleted uh, N-word right inside City Hall. How do you like that? A expletive deleted N-word mayor. And they put it right out in the sun yesterday in front of City Hall, Breslin wrote. We have a police force that is openly racist. Wow. That's 1992? So coast to coast, you have yeah. a racial animus of white aggrievement underlying social unrest occurring between the traditionalists and those advocating for change.
0: Okay. Yes.
1: During an election year, yeah. now much more niche. Promised I'd get to wrestling. Okay. In WCW, a Southern-based wrestling company, but one that had access to TBS, a national cable news or national yeah. cable network. Yes. Ron Simmons became the first black recognized world champion in wrestling when he defeated Big Van Vader in September of 1992. All right. This was truly a big deal in wrestling. However, he wasn't actually the first. The thing is, as we've talked about, Mm. in wrestling, the world was filled with different territories. So each territory had its own world champion. And as a result, they didn't recognize each other's world championships all the time, especially the ones that existed outside of the structure of the NWA of the 1900s. still I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Bearcat Wright Bearcat Wright was a babyface most places that he went and in Indiana he refused to wrestle for segregated crowds as such the Indiana Athletic Commission suspended him see back then wrestlers had to actually get a wrestler's license in every state as though it was a legitimate sport that kept up kayfabe Um, and you had to do this at your own cost all to protect kayfabe. So anyway, they suspended his wrestling license in Indiana until boxing got desegregated in 61. Shortly thereafter, he defeated Killer Kowalski to become the equivalent of the world champion in Indiana. And then he went on over to L.A. Because you leave when you're at the top of your game. So you're going to drop the belt, but then you leave, yeah. right? Bearcat Wright defeated Classy Freddie Blassie in August I don't of 19... These names. Oh, in August they don't, of 63. They don't,
0: they don't have these names anymore. Killer Kowalski, classy, yeah. blasty. Yeah, I mean, dude. Well, here's yeah.
1: some fun, fun detail for you. You've heard of Triple H, right? Yeah. Okay. You've heard of China. Yeah. Okay. Um, both of them were trained by Killer Kowalski. No kidding. Yeah. It gets even more fun. Killer Kowalski was named such because a uh, guy that he was wrestling had cauliflower ear, and Killer hit him hard enough that it knocked the cauliflower ear off his head. Oh wow. Yeah, because it's all calcified. So yeah, it's yeah. Snap yeah, yeah, off, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Killer Kowalski also all his life was a vegetarian. Really? So, weird little detail. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, but Classy Freddie Blassie, the term pencil neck geek. Yeah. That's his.
0: Really? Yes. Nice. In fact, there's
1: a song from Dr. Demento that you, yeah. you'd mentioned yeah, yeah, Dr. Demento, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. last time. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. That was that was homage to Classy Freddie Blassie. Uh Classy Freddie Blassie was based largely out of LA. Um, and, uh, he, uh, he was, he was a heel. Um, he had people who stabbed him on his way to the ring. Uh, one guy threw acid at him. Um, wow. Oh yeah. He got heat in the best ways (laughs) (laughs) when he was older, uh, he was a manager. Yeah. Okay. He managed the, uh, the team of Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Okay. Who were the world tag team champions. Uh, in 1984, okay. in WWF. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, more importantly, though, he managed a guy in, I think, 82 or 83 named Sterling Golden. <laughs> you might know Sterling Golden by his more popular name, Hulk Hogan.
0: Oh, nice. Is Hogan's right.
1: second trip through the New York Territory is when okay. he became Hulk Hogan. All right. Uh so uh Classy Freddie Blassie managed a whole bunch of like really well-known wrestlers. Mm-hmm. He typically would manage the foreigners, you know. Yeah. So anyway, in 63 though, he was in his prime as a wrestler and he lost to uh, Bearcat Wright. Uh so Bearcat Wright becomes the World Champion of the Worldwide Wrestling Associates, an organization that didn't get <laughs> absorbed into the NWA until 1968 when then it got renamed as NWA Hollywood Wrestling. Okay. Now, uh, Bearcat Wright is one of the kinds of wrestlers that's kind of interesting. First off, he was the first black man to win a championship, uh, as far as I could figure. Um, oh, actually, there is one more guy who, who does and does it with the NWA championship, but we're going to get into that in a second. But Bearcat Wright refused to do jobs sometimes.
0: Okay. And so when you're champion
1: yeah. and you refuse to do the job, that's a problem. Uh, and so he refused to drop the belt to either Eduardo Carpentier, who was a guy from uh the Montreal territory, I want to say, okay, um, or Freddie Blassie again. So the WWA stripped him of the belt and awarded it to Carpentier on December of that same year. So December oh, okay. of, uh, of of sixty three. Now, um, there's a whole fun story about that, but again, another rabbit hole I had to walk yeah, past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, technically, Bobo Brazil, yeah. Uh, had also won the NWA championship almost a year earlier in October of '62, but the NWA at that point was running this cool gimmick where uh, the face would hit Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Okay. Nature Boy Buddy Rogers is the one who then gave the name to Ric Flair right. when Ric okay. Flair beat okay. him with the with Nature Boy Buddy Rogers' own figure four hold okay. in the okay. '70s. All right. right? Okay. But Nature Boy Buddy Rogers was the first champion of the WWF. Got it. That's okay. when they split from the NWA and Buddy Rogers. Oh, okay. went Buddy right. Rogers was a right prick apparently because he would bring in all his own guys. And he would only wrestle them for the most part. But Bobo Brazil was so popular that Buddy Rogers had to wrestle him too. Okay, So Rogers is the champion. Okay, And he's a heel. And he, he would always say to a nicer guy, it couldn't happen. Which I just love that in 1960s, you had that kind of twisted... Aspect yeah. of our language. It's yeah. not twisted to me because I'm a Latin teacher, but yeah. To to most normal human beings, it's that's you know, who speak English, that's a little weird. Yeah. But to a nicer guy, it couldn't happen, right? Buddy Rogers would get hit in the groin by the <laughs> baby face. Okay. And he wouldn't be able to continue. And then Logically, the baby f-
0: Right. Because, you know, somebody kicks you in the bottom. shot. Yeah. And it's you always
1: know. an accidental chone shot. But okay. uh then the baby face would be awarded the belt. And he would refuse it because he didn't win it legally. He'd won it with an illegal accidental move. Okay. So this was one of those times. So Bobo Brazil, no, I can't do it. I'm an honorable man. We'll just have to have the match again some other time. Okay. Creative finish. So that brings us to Ron Simmons. Now, Ron Simmons was very much the first black recognized world champion. Okay. And WCW pushed him to that title using racism. It is WCW. The guy in charge... Yeah, Ted Turner. Well, yeah. no, here's the interesting thing. Okay. Ted Turner, yeah, he owned the whole umbrella, and he liked that he had a part in it, um, and he'd always make sure they had money, even though everybody else in his organization wanted to starve it and and, and let it die. But he didn't run it day to day. Okay. He, he brought in a, a guy who would then hire other people to, to run it. So WCW uh, had a guy in charge uh, named Cowboy Bill Watts. Cowboy Bill Rotz had been a wrestler. He had I think sold out the Madison Square Garden three times with oh, wow. uh, well with Bruno San Martino. Okay. So oh, Bruno okay, sold okay. it out, but he was the heel he, who was he wrestling was the heel. Him. Okay. Now, he'd had a very successful run as a booker in the Mid-South and his formula was pretty simple. Get a popular black babyface and have him defeat all comers. You may have heard of this guy, Junkyard Dog?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So that's that's what he's got. So anyway, Cowboy Bill Watts had Ron Simmons' ascent to the title come through his facing and handling racism. Now, at the time, Lex Luger was a bad guy, and he approached Ron Simmons and said, You're pretty good. You should be my chauffeur. And the weird thing is, Simmons would actually then go on to lose to Luger because they're building Luger in this other way. And then Simmons started challenging Vader who okay. I think in WCW at that time was known as Big Van Vader. Okay. Now, he was a mountain of a man um, who, 450 pounds, and was the first man to do a true moonsault at his size. First big man to do a true oh, moonsault. Wow. Oh. Um, oh. okay. Bam Bam Bigelow did a faux moonsault. He basically like kind of leaned backward and jumped backward, but was okay. like turned halfway. Uh-huh. So, yes, he got the full rotation, but he was twisted. So, Vader gets the credit. Anyway, so, Vader's manager is Harley Race. Harley Race is a goddamn legend. Uh, but also, he's a legendary prick.
0: Um, <laughs> he said... There's a lot of these guys in wrestling, Okay, oh, it Well, it's a carny territory yeah. thing, you know?
1: <laughs> so, um, Harley Race said that Ron Simmons was unworthy. By the way, Ron Simmons, I don't know if you know, he is one of the very few people. He was like, he came in ninth in the Heisman Trophy contest. Oh, wow. But he was a defensive player. and Defensive players never get considered for Heisman Trophies. Um, He also, his number was retired at FSU. Oh, wow. He's a legend. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so uh, Harley Race said that Ron Simmons was unworthy as an opponent. Because he was just an errand boy. Back in the day.
0: Wow.
1: Harley Race said that a boy like him would have carried his luggage.
0: Holy shit.
1: Now this is 1992 in a Georgia based territory with a Midwestern former world champion talking to a black wrestler. Wow. Now. All of this was booked by a man who once supported Lester Maddox. Uh, I don't know if you know who Lester Maddox Mm. was. Lester Maddox uh, had a a business. He had a a restaurant, and he chose to close it down instead of serve black customers in 1965. Yeah. Maddox would then go on to become governor of Georgia. Yep. Now, Bill Walks spoke of this support in 1992. And he'd also informed WCW, hey, uh, just so you know, I have spoken in support of Lester Maddox. And they're like, you know, they're based in, LA or in Atlanta. And they're like, the Lester Maddox? He's like, yeah, I supported his ability to shut down his business instead of, you know, serve to black people because that's his property and blah, blah, blah. And he explained it away. Now, WCW was owned by Ted Turner, as you said. Ted Turner um, had, as his vice president for the Atlanta Braves, Hank Aaron. yeah. When Hank Aaron heard about this, he pressured Bill Shaw, who is Ted Turner's uh, president of the organization, to fire Bill Watts in 1993. That's a lot of names to pull. So Bill Shaw yeah. is kind of the capo regime under Ted Turner. Yeah. Um, Hank Aaron is off to the side over under, here on the Under the yeah. Braves. But he goes back up to the capo regime and says, get rid of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> because that's not okay. So uh, that's 93 where Watts gets fired. But Ron Simmons beat several heel contenders to defend his belt. And eventually he would lose it back to Vader in late December 1992. So he wins in September. Like, I want to say like September 1st. Um, Let's see if I actually wrote down the actual date. Um, No, I just have it as September. But I know that he loses it like December 30th or 31st. So he doesn't quite make it to the next year. Uh, And he loses in Baltimore, I want to say, because that's typically when they would go through Baltimore was in December. And yes, I know that. Um, (laughs) Of course you do. Of course they do. His reign was remarkable as a first, but fairly unremarkable beyond that. The belt had already lost value since Ric Flair had left with the original belt in 1991. And that was due to a uh, fight that he'd had, I believe, with Bill Shaw or not Bill Shaw. I'm forgetting the other guy's name. Um, but the territory was also suffering, despite the cable network, and WWF at the time was pushing really, really hard. Yes. More on them later, though. Okay. Anyway, there's a brief in- inversion of racial expectations in wrestling in 1992. And Ron Simmons was that inversion from August 2nd, 1992, until December 30th,
0: 1992.
1: Okay. Okay. Now, August 2nd to December 30th. Early November fits right between those. Yeah,
0: the election.
1: And into that era steps Bill Clinton. He played the saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show in the summer of 1992. He, the first baby boomer president, defeated the incumbent George Bush. And back then, baby boomers were seen as like something hopeful. Um,
0: <laughs> that was a long time before. Okay, he, boomer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Tony Morrison, a few years earlier, or a few years later, pardon me, Uh, was lamenting the way that Republicans were attacking uh, Bill Clinton. And then she called out that the embattled president uh, was, quote, white skin notwithstanding, he was, quote, our first black president.
0: Oh, yeah, that was a huge, huge quote.
1: Yeah. Now she went on, quote, blacker than any black actual black person who could ever be elected in our children's lifetime. She was wrong there, and I'm glad. After all, Clinton displays almost every trope of blackness, single parent household, born poor, working class, saxophone playing, McDonald's and junk food loving boy from Arkansas. Now, her characterization of him was taken largely out of context, and I think it's important to note that she was doing so to highlight the Republican attack on him, starting with Whitewater and the attacks on Hillary Clinton and working their way to the Lewinsky scandal. And that attack was born of the culture wars that Buchanan had started in 92, which I've already covered fairly extensively in episodes 58 through 60. Bill Clinton's presidency was a watershed moment for traditionalists. The Republican Party had held the White House for 12 years straight. And if you go back to 1968, they'd held it with one four-year exception continuously for 24 years.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah oh shit (laughs) yeah that part of the math because it was all before my lifetime never occurred to me now you see why people were so entitled to the white house yeah that's a generation holy
1: shit and if you if you go back from 68 to 60 that's another eight years so with a total of 12 years you can go all the way back to 52 Good So,
0: God almighty. Yeah,
1: so 32 years with the exception of... of Wow. But yeah, 24 with the exception of four. Bill Clinton coming into the White House is a hugely unsettling event for white establishment America. That in itself carries with it a sense of change and therefore, if you're trying to hold on to power, a sense of chaos. Yes. But first, there's more to explore on the issue of race when it comes to this period of time and sadly, it'll be more of the same over and over again with just different headlines. So... Let's go into sci-fi for a minute. In September okay. of 1993, Avery Brooks becomes the first commanding officer of a Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. Yes. He was a widower, raising his black son, running, on a, running a space station, and doing all of it while having a fairly authentic emotional life, actually. In as yes. much as one can on a Star Trek episode. Yeah. But it was, at its core, a story about a black man's love. His love for his deceased wife crippled him for a while. And the writers held that really quite dear. It was the reason that Cisco threw himself into his work so completely. His love for his son powered him. It gives him a moral center, a moral compass that he can hold on to. And eventually, his love for his later girlfriend, who becomes his wife after a really long time, Cassidy Yates. Yes. Whom he actually gets sent off to prison for a bit because she's working with the Maquis. And then he destroys the Maquis and then she guns out. and then Yeah, out. as a
0: whole. Yeah. It's really good writing. Yeah.
1: He pursues it with the same vibrance of a man who is deeply in love because he's pursuing it as a man who's deeply in love. Yes. Avery Brooks and the writers of Deep Space Nine depicted a black man loving healthily, loving deeply, and loving passionately, and it's a black man's uh, a black man in a leading role on an already purposely diversified cast and series. Still, notice that it's 1993 and this is happening. Yes. In June of 1994, O.J. Simpson was arrested and then charged with the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her paramour, Ron Goldman. Yes. There was so much that went on in this trial that made it so bizarre. First, there's just the logistics. There's a late-night flight to Chicago, an arrest, a suicide note, an appeal on TV from a friend to turn himself into the police, a slow-speed chase, which is going to come in later with wrestling, um, with a friend in a different white Bronco, because he worshipped O.J. so much that he bought the same kind of white Bronco. Yeah. Um, with Simpson threatening to kill himself in the back of the Bronco, add to that football celebrities going on public radio to plead with him not to kill himself, including yeah. Walter Payton. National broadcast break-ins to various shows, including the NBA Finals. The the poor Knicks, they just can't yeah, get I a just break. Can't. <laughs> A clear we'll the kit knicks. bag to flee the country and all of that before any arraignment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was everything. You know, we, we talked in, in the episodes about uh, Cardassian jurisprudence, which is the kind of niche thing that, you know, we're the only only podcast I think anybody's ever done about that. But if
1: you've got if you find another one that does that, you go listen to that podcast. Yeah. Go ahead. D- 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 d-
0: yeah. Because. Wow. But. but- you know um, the fact that really this curious. is still, yeah, I know I kind of <laughs> am too, uh, because we're pointy-headed that yeah. way. But hey, Derek Lipkin, <laughs> friend of the show.
1: <laughs> hey, it, you you know jurisprudence pretty well. If you find us a podcast uh, that talks about Cardassian jurisprudence, please let us know.
0: Yeah, other yeah. than ours. Um, but you know, we we talked in those episodes about mm-hmm. this moment that we were in where trials were on were televised yes and the oj simpson trial was the the trial yeah genesis like of that yeah. i mean that, that was that was that was when that really had its mm-hmm. first major moment in the Zitgeist. yep and you know if 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 the glove doesn't fit you must acquit you must acquit um i mean all of the drama in the courtroom, all of the craziness outside the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Like there have been mini series made at least about, two that I know of. about everything that went on because it's it was just so bonkers. Yes. And I mean part of that is is O.J. Simpson as a personality mm-hmm. is kind of bonkers.
1: Yeah, he's he's a interesting cat. Like he, he was on the 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 Naked Gun movies. Yeah, he was a national celebrity known yeah. for his football. He was one of the first uh, black men to actually get an endorsement contract on a national chain. Yeah, like he's a big deal. Yeah. Um. And here's what's weird for me. Uh, OJ was famous for a race. Uh, at a time where other black athletes were taking stands against racism. Yeah. He oh, he said, did, He, yeah. I'm not black. I'm OJ. Oh, yeah. He didn't take stands. Um, he was famously quoted for saying that. And, and you've got Bill Russell. You've got Wilt Chamber, Well, less so Wilt, but more um, uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Yeah. Muhammad Ali went to jail. Yeah. Like you've got a whole bunch of people. And at this time, Muhammad Abdul Rauf. Um, I think in 1994 he refused to stand for the pledge or the uh, singing of the national anthem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, pretty much lost his basketball career for it. Um, anyway, he was here. He is now. He's pushing the bar, opening doors for black athletes when it came to commerce. Yeah, and I do think it's interesting that uh, again, oh, to be a mediocre white man, you can yeah. do whatever you want. But if you are excellent as a, a, a as a black man, if you are excellent at something. You are also responsible for all the other aspects of life, yeah. In the public eye, not very fair. Um, that you know, that's I, I think I speaking for myself as a mediocre white man. I think one of the greatest privileges that uh, white men have is mediocrity. Yeah, if we're successful at something, you know, uh, Chris Rock says this. He says, you know, I. Uh, I live in this neighborhood where there's like four black people that live in the whole neighborhood. And I don't know if it's still true, but it was in it was in 2004. He said this. He says there's me, Missy Elliott, um, and I forget who else he names. I think there's an athlete in there, and then there's somebody else. And he says so. There's me. Okay, I'm I'm a pretty famous comedian. I do all right. Missy Elliott, amazing, amazing musical talent. Um, and he names an athlete, and he names somebody else, probably another musician. He says, you know who my neighbor is? He's a fucking dentist. Like <laughs> and that's kind of the thing, you know. So yeah. OJ is 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 opening the door for black men, uh in terms of commerce. Like if you don't have OJ in the seventies and early, early eighties, you don't have Jordan necessarily. Yeah. Um so he's opening the door for black athletes when it comes to commerce, not necessarily on purpose. He doesn't sit there and go, "Look at all I'm doing for everybody." But yeah, no. He's you know he's running it up the middle. As no,
0: he he, so. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Well done.
1: Yeah, he got a national company and a national commercial series when no other black black athletes did, and it's fairly undeniable from a capitalism perspective.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, d- it definitely is. I I think uh, what's what I find interesting about all that is. Um, as you say, he made a very big deal of eschewing, I love your use of that word in this context, uh, any kind of, any kind of racial, uh, baggage or, or racial element to any part of it. I'm I'm, as, as you say, he said, I'm not black. I'm OJ. Mm -hmm. Um, but society as much as he wanted to eschew it, it's Mm -hmm. white society on the one hand agreed with him. Well, you know, it's not about whether he's white or black. Oh yeah. That plays absolutely to the white middle. You know, that, that totally, that totally plays to the middle. And I think there's a level of half totally genuine and half playing the game, playing the game to him doing that. And, I think in in every account of his career Mm -hmm. and and just, you know, people talking about him as a person, it's really clear that in his own head, Mm -hmm. the number one thing that mattered was O.J. Was O.J. Absolutely. Um, Which could speak to
1: a lot of societal pressures on how here's how you can be a successful person. if you are black. This is true. You know, it's, it's yeah. quite a hemming in. Oh, yeah. That happens. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So anyway, in L.A., the black community knew this about O.J. And even though they may have enjoyed his football playing skills and his celebrity prior to the trial, they saw him as having denied his community, choosing to live in Brentwood with the rich white folks. Yep. Not really black. But once the trial takes place in L.A., and it's pretty clear that the police also fucked up in terms of procedure,
0: and oh hugely
1: in the public zeitgeist hugely. that they framed him yeah. um and more on that later their history in in LA of racism as a police department is more than enough to swing the black community in LA into supporting simpson despite his repeated denial of them
0: oh yeah well there was there was a there was it, it was it was an interesting kind of commentary mm-hmm. at the time that was I mean, and I, I don't have any quotes to pull word for word, but there, there was kind of this commentary about, you know, um, at the end of the day, he is one of us yeah in this, in this way. Like, you know, we don't like him very much, but at the end of the day, you look know, what they're doing, look, to look, look, him look what, look what they're us. doing. Yeah. yeah. If you know, they can do it to him, they can do it. They all. can do it to yeah. the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So things shift because of everything I'd mentioned earlier. Latasha Harlins, Rodney King, Mark Furman, all these things happened. Chokeholds being illegal and the police being mad about it. Yeah. Uh, Daryl Gates' comments, the whole thing comes to a head in a very weird way in a trial that involved a man who'd all but actively abandoned his roots and his communities, but who couldn't escape how the white power structure still saw him. And he was later proven to have violated Browns and Goldman's civil rights by killing them. Yeah. So, I mean, he did it. He was yeah. found not guilty uh in 1995 uh at the end of the trial. Incidentally, it was October of 1995 when he was found not guilty. Did I mention that one of the jurors gave the black power salute to OJ after the verdict was read? That happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a pretty clear case of jury nullification. Yeah. It, um, it, you know, like the system we have. Is, and, and yeah.
1: How many, how many white people got? Oh, off- I know I'm not, yeah. I'm, you yeah. know,
0: I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, Oh yeah. That's, you know, and, and that the did thing happen. Is, and it's one of those, yeah.
1: Oh, you know, like we got one uh, off. Finally was, was kind of the, was, was, was
0: the mentality the from, from, a, yeah. from a lot of folks. I, I, you know, and the thing is at the end of the last episode, I talked about, you know, a a high school classmate of mine Mm -hmm. in, in 95 into 96, I was still in in touch with him and he and other people in my social circle, which was uh, as, as, as you talked about, you know, the, the soup you were cooking in Mm -hmm. uh, was more of a chowder. So was mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, the, the idea Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, but he committed murder. And like we, you, you know, he did it. We all know he did it. How can you just let him go? Right. The the way that wound up reinforcing Mm -hmm. white uh, indignance. Yes. Is really a thing. Yeah. Is is really very noticeable you know it was it was one more it was just you know one more brick in the wall mm-hmm. as it were well done. of of you know uh, to to reinforce every negative stereotype mm-hmm. about you know african american people black people and their relationship to law and order and the the flip side of it which is how many times in how many places have white people did the exact same thing Yeah, when, when the victim was black or Hispanic or Asian or whatever. You know, the big difference is in a lot of places, the nullification happened before there was a jury involved. Right. You know. Uh, you know, look at Emmett Till's killers. I was
1: going to say, like, you know, know, Roy Bryant called. Yeah. uh, you know, Yeah. Yeah. That was the first, my first go-to as well. Yeah. Was like, hey, here's two people that like, you know, straight up said, um, oh yeah, we did it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassin. Like, you know, look at, look at, can't even begin to talk about the number of cases. Mm -hmm. And on a, on a moral level, it's abhorrent. Yes, it is on a on a strictly political race relations, let's let's look at how the system is working level. Yeah, it's it's it it's it's a bit you, more <laughs> you, like you've you, created you need, you need to rec- you need to recognize how we got here.
1: Yeah, you've created like, a system wherein pointing out that he got off, is not an immediate like oh my god that's awful. It's like yeah but like yeah. you create a system where yeah but is is the norm like that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. um I would point out by the way uh, that James Earl Ray did get uh, arrested and tried and he he did yeah. get convicted so he he did serve time this is true yes Jamie. but you're 100 percent right about uh, Roy Bryant and yeah. his brother-in-law whose name I forget yeah. Uh, but the mood in LA, like I was saying after the trial was, uh, especially in the black community, uh, celebratory as hell. Uh, there was a reported feeling of, we finally got a win. Uh, it didn't matter anymore that he was the murderer. The police had such a long history of abuse and corruption. Like I said, you created a system, uh, that any black man getting to walk free after a trial, even after he'd abandoned and ignored his whole community, when so many people had walked free after killing or attacking black people in L.A., even in the last couple years, years, was a cause for celebration. White people were aggrieved, frustrated, felt cheated. Uh, on one level, clearly the authorities had failed to do their job correctly and a murderer had walked free. On a deeper level, a black man had killed a white woman and went free. And on an even deeper than that level, the structures that were in place to keep... uh, Here I go talking about structures again. No, you know you get into trouble if you do that. (sighs) That's fine. Uh, The structures that were in place to keep white people safe and secure at the expense of black people in L.A. had been dealt a body blow by a black lawyer, Johnny Cochran. And he kind of becomes a bit of a villain in this to the white community. Was this a... Which... In itself is interesting to me. Like there's like this, well, OJ couldn't help it kind of aspect to it, and it's really the smart black guy that's the one you got to watch out for. It's like well, that's some really fucked up racism there. Some, yeah, like
0: the, the the level of the level of yeah. ugliness there. It's like an onion; it has so many layers. Yeah, nasty. Oh, and like, just like
1: you know, like you're comparing piles of shit, and you and I both know <laughs> that when you've had a bowel movement, there are good poops and bad poops. Yeah, and like these different racisms are like. Different layers. Different consistencies of, yeah. of crap. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. was this a sign of white people's hegemony slipping culturally? Traditionally, they had that shit locked down. But now, not so much. No one got through. Uh, and on what I think is an even deeper than that level, white people in L.A. didn't really care about Latasha Harlan's murder by a Korean shop owner because it wasn't white on black violence. And it was in a black neighborhood. They didn't really care about Rodney King being beaten so badly by the police. After all, he was, quote, resisting arrest, according to the police who'd bragged about beating him. They didn't care that video evidence made it clear that the police had overstepped their bounds and beat a man nearly to death. They cared that black people burned down and made L.A. unsafe for white people. They cared yes. that Reginald Denny was attacked with such glee, and they cared that black people now were expressing joy At a white woman's black murderer going free. White people older than their 30s were aggrieved, felt their traditions were under assault, felt that they were losing their culture war, and, and that had been a part of the lexicon for a few years now, and they were resentful of it. Okay. Additionally, all that's going on in terms of race, here's a quick jaunt through some other stuff that I'd brought up in prior episodes. In December of 1993, the Department of Defense instituted a legal framework under which queer folk wouldn't be actively sought out and drummed out of the service. This was called the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy. The thing to keep in mind here was that it came after a study that determined there was no harm to gay and lesbian service members in the armed forces. And it was a huge step forward at the time. I love that we can actually look back at it as a regressive garbage.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that shows how far we've come. And because when it came out, there were episodes about it in all sorts of primetime TV. And it was seen as a big move forward. In 1995, Shannon Faulkner became the first woman to enroll in the Citadel, formerly All Boys Military Academy. I talked about that much more in other episodes. In 96, you've got U.S. versus Virginia determined that any school getting any federal funding had to abide by the protections of Of federal law, which means that banning women from attendance is illegal and grounds for being shut down. In 1997, Ellen featured an episode where the titular character, Ellen, came out as gay on TV. The next year, Will and Grace came onto the networks featuring a main character who was gay. Now, he was acceptably gay because he was still very much othered, but he was gay. Uh, Neither of these was the first gay character on TV, however. Do you know who that was?
0: not off the top of my head I do not
1: Billy Crystal in soap right he wasn't a main character oh. but he wasn't just a gay punchline either and still these two shows really yeah. moved the needle in terms of representation yeah you know a few years later Can't you had plus Blizzard buddies where they're pretending you know yeah. and you had Jack Tripper pretending to be pretending
0: you know, yeah I cannot believe that I forgot about Billy Crystal and Soap.
1: I I am still waiting for someone to put Soap on a streaming service so that I I Oh,
0: my God. Yeah. (sniffs) I'm invisible.
1: (laughs) Here are the so-and-sos. And and here are the (laughs) the so-and-sos. I forget their names. Yeah. Because I was significantly younger when watching it than you are, in 1994, as I detailed in episodes 56 through uh, 58 through 60, NAFTA changed the way America did business with its neighbors and in a lot of really important ways and was seen as a defining objection-worthy issue at the time. Thank goodness we learned, and it wasn't used dishonestly to gather power anytime thereafter. And thank goodness it didn't feed a dragon of untruth in a narrative of isolation later. We are way too smart for that. Indeed. Okay, so there's this wobbling of the culture. Okay, You've yeah, yeah, got racial... Yeah unrest you've got just like the the structure that's in place is being shown to be uh so deeply flawed balsa wood yeah yeah um and all the stuff having to do with gender yeah and sexuality sexuality all of these things so you know and so of course they're really upset when another white man becomes president look what's happening yeah the wrong (laughs) the the wrong wrong kind right white guy yes So there's a serious wobbling. And the funny thing is, he is everything that they pretend to love, too. We're out here for the common man.
0: He was the common man. You know, at that time, I'm going to say the Republican establishment had not started claiming to be for the common. man. OK, fair enough. Fair enough. That that level of bullshit. False populism
1: yeah it comes around is, in 2000 is, is a yeah.
0: product is a product of of bush two.
1: that's a reaction to the clinton thing actually it, oh yeah we oh, need to, we oh, need to oh, seize yeah. that oh, back yeah, no, yeah we need, you're we need,
0: right we need to get the bubble vote yeah you know yeah, and, that's, that's, good and point. that's and that's you know uh who, who who would you rather have a beer with yeah we're not picking a drinking buddy we're picking somebody who won't the some chief executive our of our government yeah yeah So
1: there's a big time wobbling in the culture. The youth culture is defining itself more and more separately from the dominant culture as well. Not just I'm going to go out and have fun, but don't worry. I'm going to come back and get a job and work just like dad did. Um, Now, in itself, it is unsteadily transitioning. The dominant culture is unsteadily transitioning from the war babies, the silent generation, to the baby boomers. Things are also changing faster than they had previously and in harder to see ways given computerization and telecommunications specifically. What's pretty cutting edge in 1995 will be a fading memory in 2005.
0: Yes. But what
1: was cutting edge in 1995 had clear antecedents in 85. Oh, yeah. So that 10-year gap, you had CDs and you still had CDs. The next 10 years, CDs are gone, daddy gone. Yeah. Uh Long distance phone calls, same thing. Yeah. Computer storage, cell phones.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not that they didn't have cell phones. Yeah. But that in 2005, you've got a cell phone that is like, you're you're only a couple, couple years away, mm-hmm. I think, from the Apple phone, from the
0: iPhone. iPhone. Uh,
1: uh, I think that's Ot seven.
0: Uh, is it that early? Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I was directing
1: plays and I saw a kid playing pool on one. Oh, okay um that's i know really i really early was, that's yeah. a really early yeah.
0: iphone but yeah so uh okay yeah no you're only a couple of years away from yeah no yeah. you're right only so a you're on years away you're on blueberries from you're on the texting oh. is a thing oh yeah you know yeah
1: because i remember resisting it
0: yeah nokia phones yeah the the technology had gone it's funny my wife and i were actually talking about mm-hmm. when she was a kid mm-hmm. uh spent a couple of years living in florida Mm-hmm and while they were in florida her father had a company car for the big construction firm that he was working for sure and it was a huge big deal that he had a car phone
1: right i remember that and it was hoodlums it, who would break into people's cars and steal their phones oh yeah yeah
0: oh wow <laughs> uh and and i think no he didn't he didn't have one of them but of course you know the first generation cellular phone uh huh was you know as tall so as one of our, yeah it was bigger than walkie talkie yeah. it was it was it was without the antenna it was the height yeah. of our microphones well it was used as a you prop
1: know. in wrestling oh yeah Paul Heyman at that time known as Johnny Dangerously okay he played like a shmarmy New York agent type wrestler okay. and he would use it would be the foreign object that he would hit people over the
0: head <laughs> with. because you could do that yeah that shit would hurt. 80s, with an eighties with an eighties cell phone because yes. it was you know an eight pound battery pack yep yeah. Uh, that would only last about you know twenty minutes of actual calling time, <laughs> uh, but you know, and and that's that's the first generation of, of you know cellular phones, mm-hmm. and then by two thousand you have the first flip phones, you know it's changed to something that you could fit in your pocket, and but but then as you're saying, mm-hmm. the pace then goes from something that will you know fit in your pocket mm-hmm. in air quotes, mm-hmm. but is still you know pretty bulky to being you know 5 years after that it's it's yeah. small enough to lose <laughs> yes yes <laughs> oh you know? uh, yeah it so so i mean it's future shock it's it's yeah. toffler absolutely you know uh, being proven right
1: so you've got all these shifts that are happening that in in 10 years from 95 to 2005 are yeah. going to be wildly different than they were and you know what it is is that momentum yeah too right yeah Uh, so in, in the WWF back to wrestling, yeah, a company that had been rocked by steroid scandals for a few years, starting in 91, a new generation of wrestlers was coming into their own. It was fledgling from about 92 forward too. Some of this had to do with the economic recession felt worldwide, a largely neoliberal capitalist trickle-down effort that had depressed wages, curtailed production, and cut services with an austerity programs that just helped uh, to help keep things afloat. Since the top tax rate in the U.S. had dropped from seventy percent uh, at the top rate to just twenty-eight percent at the top rate in the nineteen eighties, yeah. uh, this meant fewer folks coming to see wrestling. Yeah. By nineteen ninety-three, WWF looked vastly different than how it had looked. Five years earlier, eighty-eight to ninety-three. Okay, in eighty-eight, that's WrestleMania four. That's Hulk Hogan losing on Saturday night's main event to Andre the Giant, having two referees who are actual twins. That was a thing that happened. Okay. Um, five years later, it's nineteen ninety-three. Hulk Hogan's not even in the. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's not even in the uh, organization anymore. No. Uh, if he is he's come back I think he comes back in 94 though but by 93 it looks really really different wrestlers were far smaller some of this has to do with the steroid scandal
0: yeah uh, but also
1: Mick, Vince McMahon had publicly in the trial where he was indicted uh, admitted again in public to kayfabe now for people that don't know kayfabe kayfabe is keeping up the fiction of of wrestling being real All of it. So you don't talk about the outcomes of the match outside of the locker room. If you play a Russian, then you are a Russian in life. You're, (laughs) it sucks. You're you're in
0: character twenty four seven three sixty five. Yes, until yeah, until your gimmick changes.
1: Right. Yeah. But but as long as you go away for a while, you go you go yeah, come back Yeah, yeah yeah like go away learn a new hold it it
0: really is it really is a testosterone laden soap opera yes because that's exactly how Mm -hmm. like testosterone and baby oil (laughs) 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 i don't know why that got me so bad (laughs) but it did but you know that that's exactly the way that that characters and plot lines work like Mm -hmm. when i when i when i sit down uh, you know, occasionally my wife will will ca- we're, we go to catch up on her on her soaps. Sure. And she watches, you know, this is important, she watches uh, Days of Our Lives. Okay. Which is the same one that my mother watched mm-hmm. when I was a kid.
1: Yeah, no, that's the standard bearer. Like, if you yeah. ever think soap opera, most people think Days of Our the Lives. They even have the theme song in their head.
0: Yeah. 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 Like, Sands through the hourglass. Right. Yeah. So... Um, and the number of times Mm -hmm. that there's, there's, it's the same character, but they look different because it's a new actor. Right. One of two things is going to happen. Either there's been a subplot where they've had plastic surgery or we're all just going to ignore the fact that they look and sound completely different. Yes. But, you know, uh, or, or same actor comes back and is playing a different person Mm -hmm. now, um, evil twin evil twin, yeah. uh cousin who looks alive because yeah. yeah you know and and the only plot point i don't think i've seen wrestling do mm-hmm. is wrestlers aging up at an unrealistic rate uh because on days of our lives count? Does pregnancy. Oh, shit. Count? What are you going to tell me? Well, because
1: Lita got pregnant by Kane and had his demon spawn inside her, and then it, her pregnancy accelerated at like a, a rate of like okay. a week is a day kind of thing. Okay. To the point so, where when so. she was clearly showing and then she got knocked off the thing and she miscarried, um, you know, you could tell that she had truly miscarried because she went right back to being her normal. Not pregnant, not pregnant self, yes, yeah, within a week or two. So,
0: okay, so, um, uh, let's guy see, that did let's it, see, his let's name see. was
1: Gene Snitsky, yeah. And Gene Snitsky, uh, <laughs> you're gonna love this. He, uh, he, he, you know, so Kane is really pissed because his demon spawn, yeah, uh, didn't get born, yeah, and so he's going after Gene Snitsky. So, now is Kane the good guy or the bad guy because he raped Lita. But but yeah, but he's he an lost his father. kid. Yeah. So then so, he's going after Snitsky, and Snitsky.
0: There are so many layers. Of this oh my that god! Are just like oh, the oh, that doesn't factor. even get
1: to the Katie Vick story. The, Look that one up. But uh, <laughs> but Gene I don't Snitsky, know if I want to. You don't. Okay. Uh, Gene Snitsky, he's holding a little baby, a baby bundle in the ring, in the ring, and he he calls out Lita, and she comes down, and he's teasing her about her. Uh, her miscarriage that he'd caused and by the way his theme song is called It Wasn't My Fault Um, and he's like you know do you want to hold my baby? You do you? No you can't and you can't because you can't take care of a baby and then he punts the baby into the audience
0: (laughs) and that wasn't the worst thing that that they'd done holy shit (laughs) okay so miscarriage is a plot point Oh, several. I mentioned Rape another one here. Rape is a plot point. Yes. Um, and punting a baby.
1: Yeah. Oh, necrophilia is too. Mother.
0: Mother. pus bucket. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that and, you won't see on Days of Our Lives. All right. At one point, Vince McMahon crap. wrestles
1: a handicap match. He and his son Shane wrestle a handicap match. Well, it's not a handicap match. It's just that Shawn Michaels' partner never showed up. Shawn Michaels' partner was God. McMahon <laughs> man goes into a church and mocks god and then they have a match where god gets an entrance and he doesn't show up and so sean has to fight alone against vince and his son
0: but but okay do they actually go full beckett and like he he loses because God like truly didn't show up or no, no, do they go wins. American evangelical? Oh, yeah. 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 God actually Option showed B. up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, God was... doesn't
1: show up. Sean is just able through his faith to persevere and win. Oh, okay. So yeah, All right. God doesn't need to show up.
0: Oh, okay. God yeah. is not mocked. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. right. So. Okay. So. silly catholic yeah right okay i'm thinking i'm thinking legend of roland right no, okay no, no. sorry yeah wrong paradigm so anyway wow so what you got on days of your life so much nope. ick yeah going on there Yep. <laughs> i you know so. wow yeah all right yeah so yeah but anyway yeah no it's 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 a soap opera yeah it is it is oh, so it in is wrestling when you go murder, away. murder gymnastics yeah. yeah yeah
1: when when you go which i
0: haven't referred to it as I, even though i said to, i was going yeah. to yeah yeah. Yeah. But Start in, in, in wrestling. Spangly, can... spangly murder gymnastics.
1: <laughs> in wrestling, for instance, uh, there was a guy named uh, Barry Darso, okay. who was a uh, crusher Khrushchev, I want to say, in WCW. <laughs> and he was an American who had like fallen in with the Russians in the early 1980s. Uh-huh. And he was the only Russian that could speak English. Okay. Right. Uh, well, then he goes to WWF and becomes Smash. Of the uh, okay. of demolition. Okay. Yeah, well yeah. Once demolition disbands, he becomes the Repo Man. Okay. Yeah. And then when he goes back to WCW, he becomes the Blacktop Bully, which is basically a truck driver.
0: All right.
1: Yeah. It's it's yeah.
0: Same so, dude. Yep. Same. Not guy. rushed anymore. Nope. And like. Okay. Yep.
1: So, like I said, they look really, really different, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, the first time that he admitted to kayfabe was actually in 1989 because he said, why are we giving all this money to the athletic commissions when we're not (laughs) athletics? (laughs) Like, we're not actual contests. So in Jersey, he he went on record as saying, it's kayfabe, y'all. Like, so he broke kayfabe. Vince McMahon did. Vince McMahon broke kayfabe in 1989 in New Jersey. Well, because that's
0: where the money was.
1: Yes. I just want to bring that out because in in a few episodes, let's see, we're on page, what, 13 out of 31. Um, In seven episodes, uh, (laughs) uh, it's going to come back. Uh, Uh, But now, in, in the trial in 1984, McMahon leans in hard On the idea that wrestling was sports entertainment and not a real contest. Therefore, steroids, who cares? Um, And also, I didn't give them out. Nice double denial there. Now, the main wrestlers at that time were Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, Diesel. And I mentioned those two real quick because at one point after they'd left, the WWF was like, well, we still own those names. And then they put two other wrestlers into those roles.
0: Oh, yeah. Hey. Yeah. Days of our lives all over again. Yes. All right.
1: Including one of them, the fake diesel, yeah. would later go on to become Kane.
0: Oh, no shit.
1: Yeah. And people would hold up signs every once in a while. Kane runs on fake diesel power. It's kind of funny. Oh. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah. Wrestling fans, they they can be smart. <laughs> so Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, uh Razor Ramon, one of the first wrestlers I ever saw wrestle when he was just known as Big Scott Hall. Okay. Um, yeah. Diesel, Yokozuna, Crush, Tatanka. They were the uh they were the main wrestlers, and the standard bearers were mostly Bret Hart, Bret the Hitman Hart, yeah, yeah. my favorite, and The Undertaker.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Now they were all touted as quote, the new generation.
0: That was the
1: thing. And the idea was we'd gone through the Hulkamania era. We'd gone through the golden age of wrestling. Yeah. And those guys are all gone now. So we have the new generation, which in itself is derivative. Yes. Okay. Postmodernism at its finest. Yeah. Um, it was an attempt to distance and distinguish the WWF from the WCW at the time because WCW had now rated a lot of their bigger names and older talents.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. Including Mm Hogan. Hulk Hogan, Hogan.
1: yeah. Now, uh, I find that interesting, too, because one of the ways that Vince McMahon built the WWF was he went into all the territories.
0: Oh, and he stole their people. And stole their people, yeah.
1: Offered them better money. Yeah. Uh, Now, uh, WWF was taking things in a new direction now that the superstar, Hulk Hogan, had left in 1993. And the verbiage built around the idea that these were new iconoclastic stars who were an update to what had brought the WWF into the public eye but in the reality
0: primary colors
1: yeah well the colors Oversized. are 90s colored though There's a lot more pink a lot more turquoise
0: yeah well yeah that's kind of kind of what i'm saying mm-hmm. is is i'm actually trying to trying to say like okay wait you're saying this is what brought the WWF into the public eye mm-hmm. red and yellow yep And, and I mean, the, the, the the palette of, of Hulkamania and and that era was very distinct. Yes. And then the palette of the nineties was, we're going to introduce a lot more secondary Mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to go on on a limb and use the word tertiary colors. Yes. Like, you know, um, and the whole nineties aesthetic was bonkers it's back god help us
1: it's back with a new flair though just like when we were kids the 70s aesthetic was back um with a new flair yeah and then you know kids these days are are, yeah 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 no
0: it's all cyclical but god almighty
1: now in reality they're a step backward i think um because bret hart was a standard bearer in so many ways for the wwf but he was also So he's the new generation, right? Yeah. But he'd been around since uh, WrestleMania two. Okay. But he'd been under and mid-card. Yeah. Um, But he was a Canadian legacy. He was a second-generation star uh, who'd focused on technique and older storytelling conventions in the ring. Yeah. He may have been the next generation to make it big, but by no means was he a new type of wrestler. And because he was their main babyface, it shifted to wrestling. Technical traditional wrestling became more popular again. Now I think this is this is really important. So shooting
0: rather than yeah, Uh,
1: and this is probably important because of the steroid scandals. So look, we have people with tremendous athleticism and skill, and they're smaller. Bret Hart was only six foot one, six foot two. (laughs) I know, Uh, and uh, you know he was two hundred and thirty four pounds. Okay, you know Hulk Hogan was three hundred and three pounds, and he was six foot eight, six foot nine.
0: I had forgotten he was actually that fucking huge.
1: Yeah, well, uh, he's had so many surgeries that I think he's around six foot four now.
0: Okay. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, all, and All you those always injuries add a couple can itches. do that, too. Yeah.
1: Well, especially when your main move is falling on your ass every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually. You know,
0: Will compress your Apparently. Spine. Yeah.
1: Um. So, yeah. He was their main baby face. Um, traditional wrestling technical wrestling becomes more popular again he tells amazing stories again he is one of my fa- he is my favorite during the golden era the Hogan era wrestling was largely about just the larger than life personalities brawling and selling in the ring and, and having personal problems um, big men are making big moves for short matches in the 80s okay. hugely successful model that popularized wrestling to a level it hadn't seen before because it doesn't take much thinking to see what's going on in that ring. Okay. Now, there were big personalities who could go, and they could tell longer stories in the ring, and they're really performing at a higher level. But it wasn't new. It was a return to the traditional methods of wrestling, just with 90s colors. Yeah. All right. Now, WCW, for all the talent rating that it did, and despite it being a Southern company, uh, which meant telling different stories, was also trying to nationalize. And in the process, they tried and mostly failed to copy what WWF was doing. You'll like this. You remember the Ultimate Warrior? Yeah. WWF made him an icon. Short lived one, but an icon. Yeah. WCW? The Renegade. You ever hear of him? No. Exactly.
0: It <laughs> just they couldn't they couldn't get no. anything to stick.
1: Similar colors, similar gimmick, but never really got over.
0: Um Well, because it's yeah. already been done, I mean that's yeah. that's part of the problem. That is part is of it. Although
1: wrestling is self um, cannibalizing, yes, it, well, it absolutely yeah. does. But you're right. I mean, when it's so closely done, and it's like, hey, we got a guy that does that too. It's like, no, you don't.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, WWF had rated the NWA slash WCW, yeah, and we'll talk about that a bit um, for for Lex Luger. Now, he was supposed to be the next Hulk Hogan in WWF, complete with a bus tour called the Lex Express. And it was a bust because Lex couldn't really work. He didn't know how to sell. Hogan, for all the criticisms people have for him, he could sell. And if you watch his Japanese matches, he could work. Okay. He actually could work. He just wasn't allowed to because he didn't need to because that's not what we're doing. Okay. WCW signed Hogan to a contract and tried to recre- recreate as much of Hulkamania as it could, and since he owned that title, he was able to to work with it. But the WCW version, WCW version of Hulkamania, lacked the crisp production value. It felt like a community college play production of a James Bond movie. <laughs> I love like, that analogy. <laughs> like you can see where they're trying to go, but it just lacks <laughs> it's scope. Not, it's you know? not
0: working. Yeah. Still,
1: uh, (laughs) WWF was trying to get youth audiences eyes on their product, and they had been for years, which absolutely explains Arsenio Hall having WWF wrestlers on his show. And I think that's a good place to end it, because I want to start talking about comic books next. And then I'll get back to wrestling again.
0: Okay. (laughs) Man.
1: So. Holy
0: crap. (laughs) All right.
1: So, uh, got any books you want to recommend this time around?
0: Uh no. Okay. Dune again. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a many, many eventually series. Eventually, it's yeah. coming. Uh, when I, we when we get through your you know cross sectional <laughs> analysis opus. of an yeah. entire fucking decade. Well, I'll I'll uh, recommend two to you then. Okay. Uh, the
1: first one is Stokely Speaks from Black Power to Pan Africanism. Okay. Is Stokely Carmichael, yeah. also known as Kwame Ture, uh, really good stuff. Um, written by him. And then the other one is a book by Bret Hart, um, which is my favorite wrestling book I think that I've ever read, um, and it's uh, it's Hitman: My Real Life in the Cartoon World of Wrestling.
0: All right, it's a really
1: good book. Um, it's it's big because um, he took notes on everything. Now it's absolutely from his perspective, um, but uh, you know I, I tend to believe him more than I would believe Vince McMahon. So well, uh, yeah, yeah,
0: because. Vince McMahon it's kind of like it's his job you know yeah <laughs> it's his job like I, I I don't even bear any animosity toward him on some levels because that's his fucking job
1: so what do you expect from a carnival owner yeah you know you know like yeah. you really want safety standards from that guy <laughs> Jesus Christ you know he's drawing the beard on the bearded lady like she went bald from amphotigo years ago you know so <laughs> All right, so I recommend those two books. Uh, all right. Um, anything you want to tell me that you've gleaned so far?
0: Um, not right now. Okay. Not not at the end of this episode. I don't totally think. fair. Um, totally fair. I I do want to go back and just try to see if I can find like an article about the most bonkers wrestling plot lines.
1: Oh yeah. Just just you can find a top ten list because
0: holy crap. Oh yeah. Um, I, I thought, I thought Marlena getting possessed by the devil was crazy pants, you know, the number of alien abductions they've had on the show was, you know, a thing, but, but Robocop rescued
1: sting once from a cage.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Good night folks. Yeah. We're like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Where do I take that? Like, holy shit. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah. Uh, well, where can people find you on the social media? Sparkly Murder Gymnastics. <laughs> uh, they can find me on the social medias at EH Blaylock on Twitter mm-hmm. and EH uh, e. Blaylock on Instagram. They can find me as Mr. Blaylock on TikTok. Where can they find you?
1: Oh, you can find me at Duh Harmony on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns every Tuesday night, either playing uh, games with my pun fellows or uh, putting on a pun tournament. There we go. Um, You can also find me on twitch.tv forward slash imac puns with my partner, uh, Ian McDonald, talking about Marvel Strike Force. Okay. You can also find me. No, that would be advertising this podcast. Um, (laughs) Yeah. No, I think yeah that'll that'll do, pig. Uh, it'll okay. be just, okay. just those for now.
0: Okay, so, yeah. All right. And uh, if you want to yell at both of us about something, uh, if you uh, disagree with with Damien about the uh, virtues of Brett the Hitman Hart, um, well, come or, at me, or anything else, come hard. <laughs> because I, <laughs> to quote
1: Roddy Piper, you do not throw rocks at a man, a man who has a machine, machine gun. gun. Which, honestly, having studied the Intifada, I'm a little uncomfortable saying. <laughs> But <laughs>
0: so only on this podcast ladies and gentlemen um but if you if you want to come at him about that uh you can find the two of us collectively at geek history time tell us your favorite Twitter.
1: favorite really bad storyline
0: there you go yeah yeah oh i'd look forward to reading that yeah. that'd be an education for me <laughs> Uh, and and the source of much googling and, and probably <laughs> sleepless nights. How would they do that? Why? Why would you why? Yeah. So uh, yeah, on that note, okay. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm Damien Harmony. and until next time, keep rolling 20.